<laughs> Welcome to uh, Estradiol Illusions episode eight. And sooner or later, we'll get more than two episodes in a row with the correct episode order. But I don't think that will be next time. Um, <laughs> this will be the recap episode for Game of Thrones episode two, one that the fandom seems to sort of uniformly think was really great. So I'm really excited to talk. We have some great guests joining Clint and myself this week. Why don't we introduce everybody? Alex, Andra, do you want to go first? Hi there. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Alexandra August. I'm a writer, podcaster based in Los Angeles. I host the Got Thrones podcast, which will be coming at you later tonight with a recap, our own recap of the episode. And I also cover the show for Comic Book Resources and Screen Rant. And sometimes fandom. And uh, I'd also like to add that Alexandra writes a lot of really great stuff on Star Trek, uh, oh, including Dis- Star Trek Discovery, which just came out. So if you're into Star Trek, and I'll try not to talk about Star Trek this episode, but if you like Star Trek, <laughs> you definitely check out her work. And sooner or later, we're going to do an episode on uh, the famous Voyager uh, episode called Threshold. Which, yes, please. Um, I'm excited to do that. So. I'm excited to defend Threshold <laughs> with every fiber of my being. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll go second. My name is Clint. Um, you can find me at... Um, lawsoficeandfire.com uh, and Westeros Law on Twitter, also Clint W on Twitter. I am a lawyer in my real life, but um, you know, basically just make dumb comments uh, online about how law interacts with um, our fictional Westerosi universe. I, I am really excited to be here again, and though I am surprised to hear, Alexandra, I think you said that you had uh, another Game of Thrones podcast, and I was just not aware that there were any other Game of Thrones <laughs> recap podcasts know. other than this one. I know there aren't it's, a lot, right? Uh, a, that's yeah. just because I've done some research and I just haven't heard of any of it. <laughs> a handful so. here and there. And me last, I'm Sam Adolfo. I'm based in Chicago. I've been jokingly referred to by friends as a professional Game of Thrones fan. Uh, I have somehow Accurate. weaseled my way into the show, <laughs> which is fun. Um, in my everyday life, I'm a full-time grad student in clinical mental health counseling. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at kinda underscore cool, on Instagram at kinda cool sometimes. Um, and I'll soon have a Game of Thrones podcast about feelings called Cry Wolf, uh, of which I have, yeah, a lot, a lot of feelings. So it's going to be great. <laughs> there, will, there will be three Game of Thrones podcasts then. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Sam, That's it. No others. <laughs> Sam, first question. Were you in this episode? I was not in this episode. Um, I was in the last episode, as Clint knows. Um, as the screaming umber boy and uh, I am uh, most known for uh, Viserion a part of me screaming is part of him screaming so wait is that true yeah yeah wait, I completely missed that. that's so fucking cool <laughs> thank you I promise I'm not lying <laughs> And you said you didn't have anything to like say in your introduction. You should have just said that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Literally been on Game of Thrones. <laughs> <I know. laughs> just in voice. It's mostly me screaming and crying. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty big deal. But uh It's really exciting. It's still very surreal and, and does not feel like a thing that is is actually true. So That's awesome. You got to be part of the Night King's mural. I know. It's like the best and worst thing all at once. <laughs> 
Yeah, we uh, we were pretty big fans of him last week, but this week he wasn't anywhere to be found. Sadly, I was really hoping for you know in the crypts of Winterfell, like maybe in the corner, having the Night King debut one of his famous art pieces again. But sadly, that didn't come to fruition. But we did have a lot of really great uh, scenes with pretty much all the non-King's Landing people all sort of hanging out for what will probably be the last time for a bunch of them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the way it's looking. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's been a, a numerous amounts of death of like death-related pitches in my Slack channels, like who's going to make it out of the Battle of Winterfell and all these kinds of just... Yeah, I think people are trying to emotionally buttress themselves against what promises to be a pretty high death count next week. Well, they, they sort of, it sort of has to be to make up for the fact that this was the only episode of Game of Thrones where no one died, like ever, like in, throughout the entire episode. Really? Um, yeah. And so I'm really curious as to see, I mean, I, at least I, I've watched it twice. I don't recall anybody dying. Um, mm, and I, no. I'm curious to see, you know, uh, Robert Ball does those amazing illustrations, The Beautiful Death posters after every episode i'm curious to see what they're going to do because as far as i'm aware nobody died so um and and you know uh, there wouldn't have been a really organic way for them to just you know kill somebody off so it makes sense why nobody died but i think it's interesting um that or it struck me that there was a body count of zero for this episode episode for the first time that is wild i think that's why i really one of the i was trying to investigate why i responded to this episode the way i did other than just like it was so good um and i think part of it for me which just made it it was filled with everything i love which is just honest moments between characters and i love the dragons and i love the spectacle of the show and of course the hot the you know the deadly stakes are a key component in that but i thought it was interesting that this episode is already so popular and it doesn't bear any of the typical sort of game of thrones set dressing that usually is what people react to like there wasn't a big confrontation we didn't see a dragon we got it um no one killed each other and people kind of got along and that was just such it felt like such a payoff after everyone's after seven seasons of watching people in the most destructive conflict well davos did cook soup which i thought was really the highlight episode there he was he, you know, Sansa and Davos are seemingly the only two people who care that Winterfell is essentially like a refugee camp at this point with all of the mm-hmm. tents. Mm. Um, the low death count was especially surprising when I was expecting some follow up to the uh, dragon eating situation. They were low on sheep before in terms of their daily consumption. We could have seen some sheep carcasses, but we didn't. And we'll have to wait another episode to figure out. If they're eating right. I kind of interpreted when she said, when um, the Dothraki or the Unsullied of the Dothraki, I forgot who came up and told her, I thought they were just saying what the dragons had eaten, not what was available for them to eat. And she and Daenerys was concerned that they weren't eating because, which I thought implied some kind of emotional, like they just didn't like the North, so they're not eating. Not that they're, but I guess there isn't enough food just because there isn't, but. So, you know, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter and I mentioned this last week, but I, I was really excited about the trial of Jamie Lannister. I was kind of hoping for like a, a replay of the trial of Tyrion Lannister because they were both on trial for regicide and et cetera, et cetera. We didn't get that. We got a lot more wonderful stuff. Um, but as a law nerd, I was really hoping for like, I don't know, Tyrion mm-hmm. to like stand up and object and like maybe there would be some discussion of rules of evidence and that kind of thing. Um but instead, we got, you know, like that great speech from Brienne 
Um, yeah, what did you guys think of of the trial? I'm really surprised that Danny reacted the way that she did, um, and that I kind of expected Bran to mention something about Eris's plans to burn King's Landing, and I'm a little disappointed that that didn't happen. But I thought that it was really great. Yeah, I was really excited for kind of what I thought would happen um, once we saw the teaser. I was also kind of surprised that Danny reacted so vehemently to Jamie when we've lit when like. I think it was during Battle of the Bastards, she literally tells, the, tells Yara and Theon that their fathers were terrible men. Um, I kind of understand how she would still be very emotionally disturbed by seeing her father's murderer and somebody who had aggressively tried to kill her um, on the field of, or it, last year on the field of fire, which I'm not sure I'm using the correct nomenclature for that battle, but um, the no, little no, train no. battle. For yeah, what call it worth. field of fire. Uh, no. call the, call <laughs> it was the right the first time. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so... <laughs> That kind of made sense to me, um, but I also was just, I was sort of, I was expecting the same thing for Bran, for we, us to get that really redemptive moment from Jamie with Bran and or Brienne speaking up and saying, hey, he did this realm of service by killing your father and he saved millions of lives doing it. We can't, like, we're done calling him the Kingslayer. You can't apply that to him anymore because if he hadn't done what he did, a plenty of innocents that you claim to protect would have died. Um, I was surprised they didn't hammer that point a little bit more, but I, I'm with everyone else. I really loved what we did get. And I loved seeing Sansa change her mind because of what Brienne yeah. said. It sort of underscores the importance of trust and relationships that's typically very lacking between characters on Game of Thrones. And there was a big part of me that really wanted to see Brienne sort of casually mention just in front of everybody that Jamie had thrown him out yeah. of the building. Yeah. because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a moment that, you know, Bran could have really dropped sort of in a way that didn't, uh, that was just sort of as casual as could be. But at the same time, it's hard to imagine a kind of situation where he would say that. And then even sort of despite the fact that he doesn't, you know, really care about the fact that he was thrown out of a building, you'd still kind of expect some sort of reaction from John or Sansa, and it would be hard for her to kind of stay oh, with what Brienne had said. There'd be tables flipped. Like, it would have been, yeah. Arya would have like <laughs> sailed into that room and slit Jamie's throat without a second thought. I mean, it would have been, I was also really surprised, though, that Brienne didn't come out with that, but then in the aftermath, like, it, I think they sold it to me that had that happened, Jamie would not have, Jamie wouldn't have survived. This to, to, well, I loved how no, I loved how on-brand Bran it was, though, yeah. to not release that information, but to specifically say the things we do for love, as if to say, like, I know and you know, but I'm holding back this information Absolutely. for a specific reason. I squirm some more. It amuses me. Exactly. I, I'm yeah. curious to know, and, you know, I don't think we'll ever find out this, but um, when Jamie, in his defense, basically said, I would do all of that again, um, you know, he, I would kill the king again. I would kill Joe. I would attack um, yeah. Ned Stark in the street. I would do all of that again, which first of all is a absolutely what Jamie would say there. That is, that is fundamentally Jamie Lannister to just not apologize for doing just the <laughs> shittiest stuff. But I'm wondering whether he mm -hmm. includes in his mind pushing Bran out the window. I think the answer is yes. And the, conversation the subsequent conversation between jamie and bran seems to indicate that it that it was even though he then apologized to bran um which i thought was interesting um so, so yeah 
I think that's indicative of sort of the redemption arc that Jamie has been on where he, he really struggles, I think, with every... He's just done so much bad shit that if he, I think, really took ownership of it all... I don't know that he, I just don't know that he's strong enough or built like his character is such that that would do something like that. And so it, um, it makes sense to me that he could sort of live in that cognitive dissonance of not apologizing at the same time, regretting certain actions and seeing just how beyond the pale it was to sleep with your sister and then push a kid out the wind out a window. Like he shows awareness of yeah. that, but it's, yeah. Um, that mentality was pretty consistent with I remember it a way more vividly in the books than the show. But when Catelyn was in the dungeon in A Clash of Kings and Jamie is sitting there, he's not particularly remorseful about Bran at that point either. Having had a lot of time to think about it, it is really the things that they do for love. He did that for a singular purpose and mm-hmm. sort of morality be damned. I mean, that's kind of every time Jamie acts in that kind of way, it. You know, he's he's one of the more consistent characters in that regard, even as somebody who's undergone an extensive redemption arc. Yeah, and I think it was a good way to sort of call out how there's blood on everyone's hands at this point. And if we start sort of taking people like this to trial because they've, um, for quote, crimes they committed when they were our enemies and at war, that's just... John, I think, is the only person with the right mentality going into this, which is that it's all hands on deck. And if someone is here and willing to lay down their lives, probably, because he only has one hand and it's going to be problematic fighting <laughs> zombies. I, I think that the, 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 the surprisingly evolved perspective John has on that, or I guess not surprising in context of his character, but yeah, is appropriate. John also was at the wall where he'd had to work alongside men who had done awful things. A great point. You know, what rapers and thievers and that. And I think that that seemed to have really affected his character in, in learning how, how to do that, you know, without taking it personally, maybe. And then, of course, working side by side with the wildlings. I think it's all kind of like led up to that. Yeah, that feeling. Been- it's interesting that Jamie at no point went to Gendry and asked him to make a pair of like brass knuckles made of obsidian yeah, for his yeah. hand. That's a good Maybe. point. Probably the yeah. best. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been. I would have been really excited to watch that scene. They need to, like, there's still so <laughs> many people who need to hang out before I'm completely satisfied with this series closing. Um, I'm not invested at all on. <laughs> the Iron Throne and that the results of that game, but I'm very invested in Sandor Clegane and, I don't know, Jamie Lannister and Sansa Stark sitting down for a beer at some point. Yeah, I need like three more three. episodes of the episode we got exactly. last night. Yeah, and then the show <laughs> could just end with the White Walkers deciding that they don't want to attack because they're going to go study at like Sarah Lawrence <laughs> or the New School and really take the, take the art and design to uh, its full potential. <laughs> Exactly. That's my dream. They all major in environmental yeah, design. I mean, <laughs> found <laughs> found materials. <laughs> They've shed blood too. Last Hearth is kind of a mess right now, but um, it's not too late to have four more episodes of hanging out because we've really. It, it was just it was so great to see so many different. You know, you had Davos, Tormund, Jamie, Brienne, and two, you had them all in the same scene, and it's one of those things that think back to like season three would just be so hard to believe, especially they did the callback to Gendry with uh, Melisandre, which I forgot about, which was uh, really cool. He loves telling that story. It's a wild, wild scene. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like when you're upset about something, but also you're yeah, kind of totally. turned on about it and angry about <laughs> it. So he keeps being like, this terrible it's thing still, happened. Please let me talk about it more. Unpack these feelings. To be fair, if I, <laughs> if, uh, if I were um, having sex with somebody and they pulled out a leech... Um, I would never stop telling that story too. I would just be like, you guys have this to. This is a savage love cast call for sure. That would have been how I'd introduced myself in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone would know. Good old Gendry. Great to have him back. Joe Dempsey's comedic timing is just like, I don't ever he's, want, he can't die because he's just too funny. I will be very angry. He's amazing. I'm the biggest Joe Dempsey mm-hmm. stan. He's just amazing. I think it was because of the you know quality of Joe Dempsey's acting that I didn't really make fun of his uh, marathon sprint to uh, back to the wall <laughs> as much as I could have. And I'm surprised nobody mm-hmm. played like the Chariots <laughs> of Fire theme music, all that kind of stuff. Is there a gif of that? <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's it, a, travel is an interesting um, concept. This, like, I feel like time is just become way less linear in the past two episodes like theon got to winterfell very fast so did jamie um people are just bouncing around all over the place with a quickness which doesn't bother me as much as it used to i feel like it would be annoying if they were moving too slow and annoying if they're moving too fast but i'm fine with this i didn't need to see a road trip episode of jamie getting there so this is fun no but i want like 30 more aria sandor road trip episodes <laughs> yeah those were a lot of fun but theon theon had to get to winterfell to join the brands guard the brands guard true <laughs> he's the only line of defense that they they have all the they have all the unsullied they didn't get the lannister army but they still have they have the veil they have a lot of people and the only person who can guard bran is theon apparently and iron men I personally would really like if last episode, I, a lot of people love Theon. I'm just kind of ready for him to, he's had so many sort of suffering and then he's redeemed himself and then he betrayed people again. I, I'm kind of, I'm ready for him and Ser Jorah to go out in either a bang or oh. I will also accept a whimper. If Jorah Mormont and Beric Dungdarian are still standing at the, end of this, at the end of this series and we lose somebody and we lose awesome people, I will I will raise my fist to the air in consternation. <laughs> I think that Beric Beric's death wish was signed the moment um, that Thoros died. And I think that Jorah is definitely going to go. So I think that you're going to be okay. Yeah. There. Yeah. <laughs> so part of me would like to like see a spinoff that's just Jorah Mormont and Leanna Mormont trying to like full house their way into the running of Bear Island after all of this is settled. <laughs> I That's love maybe that. the one Shredora idea I could get behind. I, lo- I I did like their scene. It it was fitting. I actually kind of forgot they were related, but just, just because yeah. one of them is so strong and the other is so weak. Uh, <laughs> well, and also Jorah just walking in here and like all of a sudden telling this girl he's met maybe once or like not very, not knows very little and trying, trying to tell her what she could do and what she can't do. I was like, I get that this scene is here because it's cute, but it is also hilarious. And of course, a Jorah Mormont choice to waltz in and <laughs> man, playing all over telling people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my dear friend Paula Fairfield who is the sound designer on the show referred to him as uh, the Joe Biden of Game of Thrones and I have not stopped laughing yet <laughs> point Fairfield excellent it is excellent <laughs> 
There, there's so many hanging out scenes. What, what do we want to talk about first? We can. Uh, but that Danny and Sansa. Oh yeah. Oh yes, yes. The Danny oh. and Sansa scene. Oh, it was that. I think that's been kind of regarded as the consensus, like weakest moment of the episode. I'd, I'd, I'd probably. This this season has a lot of. Uh, you know they had they had two episodes to essentially kill before the big battle, and but obviously they do kind of need to set up what's going to happen afterward, and it just it feels so forced that on the eve of like their all their imminent destruction, they're still kind of setting up what's going to happen later on the, later in the season with the strife between the North and the Iron Throne, assuming Danny takes it, and it's just I I, I would love if they didn't fight. You know, why can't I would love to have a Danny Santa moment that wasn't all, you know, forced, forced, forced mm-hmm. conflict. I um, there was I was uncomfortable watching that scene in part because it felt kind of colloquial, like Danny saying we're two women, like we're two leaders who faced objections over women's rule. And I think we've done a damn good job. And I was like, I there's just something that it didn't feel right coming out of her mouth. But I think. Also, part of that is that I'm not used to and I don't really think I care for watching Danny try and flatter her way in somewhere. It's mm-hmm. it's was it, it rang really insincere when she's a leader who is not insincere. She's pretty forthright. And when listing what she wants and getting what she wants, she doesn't sort of have that kind of slimy political prowess that Littlefinger exhibited. And then conversely with Sansa... I kind of wish Sansa would be a bit more of a chess player that we saw her develop into last year. Um, she has real reasons for not wanting to accept Danny's rule. I, they watched the post show and I forget if it was Benioff or Weiss, but one of them pointed out that, you know, Sansa's seen the Sansa's seen what's t- what tyrants do. And she sees Danny as somebody who's gathering more and more and more power. And Sansa isn't about to leave herself unprotected. Like that makes sense. And I don't know why we couldn't have seen that confrontation as opposed to these like falsely raised stakes of them, holding hands and then stopping and oops, the on's here. So we can't continue this conversation. Yeah. I want them to be buds. I do too. I think that what you said about her trying to flatter her way into a sort of more favorable position is accurate. Um, but she also underestimated Sansa and that Sansa would use it to kind of get to something that she wants or sort of get reassurance Mm. that what their initial plan was, isn't going to be completely, you know, crushed once Danny takes the throne. Yeah. It was a tough episode for Danny in general, like watching John totally <laughs> cold shoulder her, like not return her text. Yeah. <laughs> left um, her on red, hardcore. Totally. <laughs> He's going through some stuff, to be fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, I, I liked that scene actually. I, and I think maybe it's just, you know, because I really like everything with Sansa in it. Um, but I liked how kind of what with what Sam was alluding to, how she sort of used this sort of um, colloquial way that they were talking in order to, to assert her position. And I thought it would have been really easy for her to sort of, okay, well, we're all probably going to die. Um, so let's not get into the conflict about who is going to rule the North after we all win. Um, it would have been very easy for her to just, you know, let that go. But she decided to um, assert her authority, assert, you know, the rule of the North, and the sovereignty that they um, they all took um, when they appointed John King of the North or, or elected John King of the North, whatever they um, 
whatever you want to make the argument about. Like I, I appreciated that, that, that she went back to that and said, no, no, we still have to talk about this. Um, and I was talking to, yeah. I was talking to, um, Matt who was on the show earlier, um, Joe magician. And, and he made a really good point that maybe her, what Sansa was doing was negotiating that yeah. by, by putting, by starting off with, okay, well, we still want to remain independent kind of knowing that that's not going to fly. Um, and she's expecting Danny to come back with something else so that maybe that they can come to what they really want. And what Sansa probably likely really wanted was for Danny to marry John. Um, and then they w- would have that Northern representation uh, down in King's Landing. When are we going to see the uh, balkanization of uh, <laughs> Westeros? I think... <laughs> I think we will. I mean, I think that that's, well, I, I don't think it's particularly likely that Danny survives the, the series. And I don't think it's particularly likely that John either survives or wants to be the ruler of the seven kingdoms. So I think we, at the end, we're going to devolve into the, the, we're balkanize uh, the seven kingdoms into their original kingdoms. Hi. That's something that I've been really contemplating for a long time because it seems less and less likely as the show progresses that it's going to be about who ends up on the Iron Throne. Um, I think it. I think the more pointed statement the show um, and the series, the greater series, uh, are trying to make is in part that this particular form of government lends itself to crazy rulers and potential for civil war. Um, when you put all that power in one place, it breeds tyrants and. George has done a pretty incredible job of showcasing how that system of government can fail its constituents so completely. Um, so to have somebody end up on the Iron Throne doesn't really make sense for me just in ter- just from a narrative standpoint. I feel like it would be sort of betraying its own premise, um, or at least not taking advantage of the chance to transcend something. Um, but then it's not like it's going to be Westeros as a democracy at the end right. of everything. So. If if there is no Iron Throne and the solution to this is to try a different form of government, maybe like the natural solution seems to me to let people to let the kingdom sort of go back to <clears throat> self governance. But then again, that on the other hand, on the other other hand, that also feel doesn't feel like an evolution. It feels like a step backward. So I don't know. So that's the only I, I that's kind of the only the best solution I can come up with if there is no Iron Throne. But it's interesting to me that it's also not an ideal situation. Cause I feel like that's just going to create more and more infighting or breed more of it. I'm definitely curious to see how they go about it, but I think that the only way I could be disappointed in the ending is if there is still a throne that people can yeah. thus fight over because it seems like the show has really been, I mean, it's driven at home clearly that the, the, the climbing toward trying to get that throne has been problematic and has ruined all of these houses and has killed so many men. Yep. So it seems completely ridiculous. <laughs> and poor people who just didn't even want the throne, like poor Ned Stark, I know, I like, know. cannot exist outside this stupid chair's influence. Yeah, my dad goofed. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully Ned, uh, hopefully Ned sort of, uh, John can learn something from all of Ned's mistakes. Cause he seems kind of, I wish 
Somebody needs to like start counseling uh, John and Daenerys and Sansa, a lot of these people just on like the basics of communication. Because, <laughs> well, Sansa has you know, pointed that out to John right. before that he needs to be smarter than Ned and smarter than Rob and smarter than everyone. Yeah. I mean, R plus L equals J is like the fan theory to rule all fan theories. It's just been like the most hyped theory probably of the past 20 years in any fandom. And and I, I don't say that lightly either. I think that's probably true. But yeah, uh, we found out at the end of the la- last season finale that they were, gonna, you know, that it was confirmed. And then we've we've had two episodes essentially where that huge theory has been kind of an afterthought in both of the episodes relegated toward the end. And it's interesting because John is sort of he's got a lot of stuff to work through, but. Like just from a sort of uh, hype perspective, it's this sort of elephant in the room that and, you know, how much brand knows, which is something that Danny sort of questioned when John was doing the reveal at the end, not to skip to ahead, but it just it, it strikes me for a theory that it's as popular as it's been. The show just sort of doesn't want to go near it with with, uh, you know, with a 10 foot pole. Or they're really extending it out. Yeah. I feel like the whole show has, in a way, been about the theory, though. You know, John's questioning of who he is and where his place is and, and why his life has meaning. And if it does throughout the entire show, um, I mean, that really blew up last week where he learned um, the truth and to see it on his face. And now to see him kind of trying to rectify that by standing in front of, you know, Liana's tomb and, and having to tell Danny the truth of what that is while he's still also trying to figure it out. You know, I'm sure he's still reeling and trying to process it. So it's, it's tough because I feel like so much has been about it. Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting backdrop contrasting with when you look at like Brienne who, you know, got knighted despite all of the obstacles put forth by her gender. Somebody yes. like Davos, who mm-hmm. isn't a fighter and survived two battles. I mean, this, you know, Jamie and John lost- didn't grow up with the advantages of his birthright. Not yeah. really. Um, he I actually think- grew up very disadvantaged given the way Catelyn treated him at home. So he almost just like he his existence kind of serves to undermine the idea that um royal people are somehow better like just better equipped to lead i guess that fallacy yeah it's not really about who you're born as it's it's who you want to become but I think that, that kind of stuff i think that's what has made john so great is that he thought that he was no one yet he's done all of these wonderful things and now he knows that that's not true but he still has the knowledge and understanding of his life prior his, you know his entire life experience to kind of guide him rather than just feeling that it's his name i think that really harkens back to you remember when i first got um my very first copy of a game of thrones um <laughs> somebody one of the quotes in the back referenced uh connected it to um i think stylistically and um to the once and to th white's the once and future king um which i don't know if everyone's familiar with uh it's a, a modern arthurian retelling that served as the basis for the sword oh. in the, the disney movie the sword in the stone um yeah it's it's a wonderful read it's really really good it's very funny and um but at the same time one of the points that book hammers home is the idea that you kind of have to be raised with a degree of scarcity to appreciate um, to really understand the people that you will one day govern. He um, he makes 
it very key to Arthur's success that Arthur grew up in a very disadvantaged state and didn't and kind of had any arrogance or ego beaten out of him. So when he did come into a lot of power, he was more even handed with it and he was smarter about it. And I feel like John's been on a very similar journey of having to go through a lot of tragedy and go through a lot of uh, pain. And now I think is able to appreciate and be better with the power that's thrust upon him and become a better ruler or just leader in general. Yeah. I mean, he's gone from literally wanting to die, not wanting to be a person who is alive <laughs> to now being someone who is fighting for, for others, which is really beautiful. I feel like Clint probably has feelings on this too, since we're like the resident Stark babies. Why? Just because I have a <laughs> Leona Stark tattoo uh, that you're, you're yeah, I, I do have a few. You and I, <laughs> I do have a, a The combination few, of our uh, tattoos is something yeah, else. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I think another example of what you guys were just talking about, about how he's, he's learning to um, sort of how to be a good leader is, is what he uh, displayed at the trial of Jamie Lannister. You know, it was, he was essentially the, in a way, the tie breaking vote, but his vote was basically like, I agree with Sansa, um, which is the smarter, smarter like point, uh, or mm -hmm. especially given the circumstances that everybody's in. Um, and he essentially deferred. He said, you know, my girlfriend wants one thing. My sister wants another. Um, I, I agree with Sansa because it's, a, it's the smarter thing and it's not just, well, um, you know, my girlfriend wants this, that's how we're going to go. Um, so I, I think that that, that bolsters the point that you two were making. John is like remarkably well balanced emotionally <laughs> that's a good point. for everything that he's gone through. Um, <laughs> I, my favorite tweet about... He's had pretty good guidance through it. Yeah, it's, um, it's that's been pleasurable to watch. To not, But that said, mm -hmm. um, where I think we were relating him a bit to Ned Stark earlier and whether or not he's tried... He's actually avoided the, sin, the sort of, quote, sins of his father. And I think Angie J. Han on Twitter tweeted my favorite... Probably my favorite tweet for this episode, which is, I don't care what John's 23, 23 and me results say. Only a true born Stark would reveal information that dangerous with timing. That's stupid. Uh, it yeah. is perfect. Yes. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh my God. Yeah, he really, he potentially screwed up Danny's, uh, she's, how is she supposed to dragon ride with all of that on her mind? She'll need to like smoke something before she yeah. gets uh, behind the wheel of Drogon. She'll need to levitate. Oh, um, yeah, I was just going to say, like, so let's talk about the, the hearth scene. Or... Oh, God, can we? Wait, which one? <laughs> the one between Tyrion and Bran, which made me oh, lose my mind, about the, the, Tyrion the and one Bran between scene. all the, yeah. like, all before the above, battle guys? Sure. All of the above. Um, <laughs> all of the above. It's definitely the thing I've watched more than anything else. I've been watching it and crying <laughs> and uh, tweeting and feeling feelings. What what about it is so affecting you? You think? Um, I mean, with with Brienne specifically, that moment was obviously beautiful, and like her her kind of shirking, you know, like I don't I don't want to be a knight anyway, kind of like throwing that away because she knows that it's not a possibility. Sharing that look with Pod, and then oh yeah, exactly, like Pod giving her the look of like, bitch, you know that's not true, <laughs> but it's so deeply meaningful. He's been such. Pod has been such a, a good influence on Brienne and her being honest with that, you know, Jamie. It's, I think that like the thing that's beautiful about that scene going into Jenny, um, 
it's all about these things that we didn't think were possible becoming possible of like, you know, I, I really lost it earlier having uh, feelings about, you know, the Starks having their last night while well, everyone having their last night in, in being safe and at home, but specifically with the, with Arya and that glance of her and Gendry, you know, they didn't think that they would ever be able to be home in Winterfell again. They didn't think that they would ever be safe or happy or together again. And so it's this really beautiful moment um, that may be kind of fleeting. So with Brienne being knighted, it's it's just so overwhelming. Um, but it's also tough to think that it may be so short-lived. I really hate it. <laughs> it was really the the episode title, which is The Night of the Seven Kingdoms, which is a reference yeah. to the collected volumes of the... Duncan Egg, uh, the three Duncan Egg novellas. It's widely fan speculated that Brienne is a descendant of that series protagonist, or Duncan the Tall, who was kind of lived a not not exactly completely similar, but uh, he was a guy who got knighted and uh, was never really taken seriously. Kind of had to prove himself, and he worked his way mm-hmm. up into the yeah. King's Guard. And then there's Brienne, somebody who really is a is a knight by the sheer force of her own merit i mean the if you if you look at just sort of the rudimentary way that so many royalty in westeros get to become knights you know they're all you know paid squire it's kind of parents pay for them to get into college yeah exactly (laughs) so for brienne to do that on her own merits in an episode named for her and presumed ancestor who did the same thing uh, i i just really that 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 hit me pretty hard because um, Brienne and Dunk are two of my favorite characters. Uh, uh, hopefully, we'll get a Dunk Dunk story. Well, I mean, that I think the Duncan Egg stories in particular. I think the reason they weren't adapted for the next iteration of Thrones as a prequel is the same for, for the same reasons that I love them so much, which is that there's very little magic, almost none, and there's not. It's kind of it's just a more it's basically Game of Thrones almost without the fantasy. And that was kind of what this episode was too. There was, there was no magic. It was just human people doing human things. And I think calling back to that work, which is so beloved, really highlighted what the fact that this series is not always, but, but most, much of the time, very good at executing really intimate moments at the same time as executing really fantastically large ones, epic ones. Yeah. I, I, I um, texted my partner um, right after watching this, episode um and basically said that it was essentially it was a love letter to super fans and that's probably selling it short mm-hmm. um you know but the reference to a night of the seven kingdoms um jenny song jenny of old stones that song as soon as it started um singing it i started crying again um oh. you know like it's it's a uh, it's so important for those, those little moments of lore that, you know, deep fans really, um, resonate or that it really resonates with those, those sorts of deep fans, which we all are. Um, like I, I thought that that episode in many ways was written, you know, just for me. And I know that a lot of people had that, that same response. And then, um, I saw, and I don't know, it was an interview with Brian Cogman who wrote the episode, um, afterwards. And he, started choking up while he was saying that it was actually a love letter to the characters um, because he loved the characters Mm. so much. And you can tell that it it absolutely came out um, the way all of those reveals happened. Um, 
that it was a Brian Cogman episode. It was his him putting forth the best version of this episode that he could possibly do. And he just completely nailed it. Um, and so I loved it. I, I think it is potentially my favorite episode of Game of Thrones ever um, for, for all of the reasons that you guys have mentioned. Yeah, when I saw that clip of Brian Cogman starting to cry, I paused it and started weeping. It was really beautiful. I feel like this is sort of what my what the when I, I got the chance to guest in a couple of of UK radio shows. Like someone, my name got around BBC, and so I just called into a couple of morning shows to commentate before the premiere. And one of the things that I mentioned was that I was everybody was like, "Are you excited?" And I'm like, "I'm honestly a little mm-hmm. scared because this series has mm-hmm. the potassium." The, potassium the potential (laughs) to like to be so so important and emotionally significant if they hit the notes right and it's just gonna be kind of a just a a hype train that's completely out of control and that's extremely exciting and promising especially given the last two episodes and what we can expect from the next one especially like it's it's almost sort of like terrifying levels of enjoyment because it's or terrifying levels of satisfaction to a to a degree and it's so great that uh brian cogman you know somebody who has that much uh affection for the characters could write that because this was such a it's hard to find a single episode of television that provides as much fan service as this episode did in a way that also was just so perfectly executed i uh it, it is definitely it's it's weird to have watched the show and to realize that you were watching such a special episode and then to go online and everybody was saying the same thing. I it was uh, really it, to, to hear all of the reactions that it's getting. I mean, it just speaks to the power of how there are so many three to be exact <laughs> podcasts dedicated to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Soon to be three. Soon to be three. But- I think in some ways calling it fan service even sounds yeah. so short. Um, I, it was that to a certain extent, but yeah, I agree. it was also complete. Every single scene was entirely earned. Um, it was based in years and yeah. years of um, character work that had been done and that was continuing to be done through that episode. And so it didn't feel cheap. It wasn't just Arya and Gendry banging it out that one last time, which could have, you know, if it was just everybody's being happy uh, one last time, then that might've felt cheap or unearned, but it wasn't, it was, we've got some actual work to do before we get ready for the apocalypse. And and what would these characters do in those situations? Mm-hmm. Um, and the choices they made and the dialogue that happened, I felt, I thought was completely or felt very organic to me. Um, it felt earned. It felt justified. Um, and it felt real and I, that's why I loved it so much. And it's, I feel like the, the sweetness of this episode, how lovely it was, is going to make next week's episode hurt even more. I'm like, I'm so excited for next week. Oh, I've I've seen. (laughs) Oh my God, you monster. (laughs) I'm excited too. Yeah. Well, I battle of the bastards is probably my favorite episode of this entire series. It is my, like I've said this before, my drunktivity of choice for a while was get to a certain point of intoxication and turn on battle of the bastards and just wig out. Um, yeah, but I, I'm a big fan of production value and the way this show spends their money. And so they've created some incredibly satisfying sequences that excite me just 
because they're on television and genre so rarely gets a chance to shine on television or, ha- or historically hasn't because nobody wants to throw the budget at it that's necessary to carry off a lot of these fantastical or science fiction concepts. So more often than not, things look a little silly. Like I'm thinking of like, bless, I love Star Trek more than life itself, but there's, it's, there's some goofy moments in it. Um, due to budget. I'm not the first person to mention Star Trek. Perfect. (laughs) Um, and the fact that Miguel (laughs) Sapochnik is the directed battle of the bastards and is going to be directing this battle. Um, and directed this battle and the fact that they they were so ambitious about how they shot it that it was so long and intense and largely practical just makes me I'm I'm so excited to see what happens next week. I think it's going to be an amazing I think it's going to be a series defining ride. I don't know any spoilers, but I can say as a person who regularly gets to peek behind the curtain I don't think that you will be dissatisfied with next week's episode. (laughs) There's been so much that has gone into it. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm not excited for anyone to die. I like, but I also. Jorah, Jorah. You can't come on the show. You can't come on the show unless you should on Jorah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I'm in the right place. I actually just wrote a day in the life of a day in the life of Jorah Mormont for fandom um, and had to, and I was like at several opportunities I had to point out his extremely inappropriate crush on yeah, Danny. Yeah. He, 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 <laughs> um, uh, I, I almost, I could, you know, talk for the next uh, 10 hours on how much I hate Jorah. Not even that. I could probably just go till the end of the show. Just talking about how much I Loathes the guy who just got a nice new sword. Who gives Jorah a sword? I would give him. I would give him a smack yeah. with it, and I'd give it to Liana Mormon. Can you imagine what Jorah? <laughs> I wish they'd given Sam and Ara. I could be like, you can lift this. Just yeah. you know. I feel like Tormund should have gotten like, it. Yeah, I, anybody but that. Oh, I love Ian Glenn too. He's mm-hmm. great. He, I, I find him very attractive <laughs> in other shows, but him. With the yellow shirt for as many years as he wore it, I just I'm never gonna get over that. His <laughs> <laughs> turquoise neckerchief necklace didn't didn't tip it over the edge for no, you. I mean, it's just like okay, Sam. You know, I, I like that they're. I, I said this last week, but I like that they're doing something with the fact that Randall and Dick and Tarly just kind of died for seemingly no reason, defending the Lannister honor when they, you know, no lack of, you know, giving a shit about them, but. They're they're kind of milking that one for all it's worth. And yeah, it's great to see that Sam can interact with Jorah in a way that harkens back to his own relationship with the old bear, Jorah Mormont, who, like his son, made a lot of stupid decisions, like Great Ranging. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get that the scene happened. For people who don't hate Jorah with a steaming passion like me, they probably said, isn't that nice? Or maybe an awe. Maybe someone out there cried over it. I don't know. I wish them the best, but... <laughs> I, I I just want him to die. You just give them a bless your heart. There's, I feel like that scene kind of um, that scene kind of tickled the same notes as the Jorah Thoros scene from Beyond the Wall last season. I just thought it felt ex- extraneous. I didn't need to see it. There was valuable time when the Hound and Jon Snow and Gendry could have been talking about Arya. Um, Joanna Robinson, I think, pointed that out several times. Uh, and this kind of felt the same. Like, I just didn't... I, I guess it served as kind of a nice bookend to the incredibly 
awkward moment where Jorah introduces Sam to his father's murderer. Um, so I feel like it kind of softened yeah. out that unpleasantness. Uh, and Sam seems to have put a pin in those feelings for now, which um, is a really lovely moment for Sam. But yeah, a lot of the Jorah stuff felt extraneous this week. But <laughs> how did how did people? I'm interesting to I'm interested to hear people's thoughts on Foreman. Uh, you know, he continues to be this character who, like, like in that episode Beyond the Wall, he uh, basically announced that he was bisexual. He one of the few Game of Thrones characters to come out of the closet. And then this episode, he's really um, a, a bit of a egalitarian in the sense that he didn't understand why women couldn't be knights. And yet then he also just has like the sleaziest <laughs> Tinder lines in the books. It's very, the contrast is very, uh, I don't know what to make of it. I was actually, um, I'm not a huge Jamie Brienne shipper. I love that relationship, but I'm not, I'm not as invested into what? in it as like say that the ladies from like close the door and come here, which is an awesome podcast. One of the, that's the other, that's the other <laughs> game of Thrones podcast out there. Um, <laughs> and they like, they hate that they hate the torment. Brienne dynamic with a passion and I actually initially liked it because it was amusing to me to see Tormund just completely beguiled by Brienne and I loved seeing someone look at Brienne and be beguiled by her and admire her as opposed to everyone's natural reaction which is like what the fuck are you doing in armor weirdo so that aspect of it I really liked but now they sort of make him whenever he talks about her they just make him this boorish idiot they really dumb him down and the dialogue he had in this scene where he's like talking about having like sleep, like raping a giant and then guzzling sour goat's milk. Like, I mean, I don't know if that's just the wildling sort of showcasing his peacock feathers, but I, Thora, um, Tormund has a degree of intelligence and sophistication to him, a small one that I feel like just went out the window in his relationship, like in that scene with, in his interactions with Brienne. So that's kind of where I come I don't love that relationship for that reason. I don't think it shows Torment in a particularly great light. Torment is sort of a problematic fave for me where I absolutely in no way ship him and Brienne. Like Brienne can do so much better. She's with Jamie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how it is in my head. They are together, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that because Torment is like... A respected fighter and we do know that there is a degree of intelligence there but watching him make a total fool of himself over Brienne is still enjoyable to me um since he's like he's trying his okay. hardest uh and and it's like you know it's like when you're in sixth grade and a boy tries to do something really stupid to impress you and you're like cool you what I was like, you stapled yourself like what how is that impressive to me uh but he's like pulling out like all the tricks in his book and his book sucks. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's where like, it would have been funny too, if he had just like entered the scene and dragging in like two dead deer and just like thomped him on the heart and <laughs> stared at her. <laughs> well, you know, and I think we should be careful not to presume monogamy. It's possible that Brienne, you know, could swing a relationship with both of them at the Absolutely. same time. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It has happened in exactly. Um, there's a lot of talking, a lot of Google schedules. You've got to coordinate, but it's possible. Trust me on this. So, something you can think about. I could see Tormund possibly oh, yeah. uh, being into Jamie as well. Oh yeah. Um, 
It's uh, too bad we didn't have Mage, Mage Mormon in the uh, show. She seems like somebody somebody who could have been a good uh a little bit older than Tormund, but I could have seen them uh, really, really great together. Or Lady Dustin, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, Tormund might be a little rough around the edges for her, but um, she's got the wit to to match him, possibly. I don't know. That's a weird pairing. I liked um, I, as somebody who's not... Um I'm not just bedazzled by Jamie and Brienne. That's um, I enjoy the relationship, but it doesn't like it doesn't like thrill me when they're on screen. But um, this week, I like found myself absolutely riveted by the subtlety of their interactions. And Nikolai and Gwendolyn are doing such wonderful, wonderful work. Uh, specifically in that scene when he comes out to meet her, when she's sort of help, tr- watching Pod train and. Um, they have that initial awkwardness and she's like, what are you doing? You have, we haven't had a conversation where you haven't insulted me for this long ever, which is right. And then he builds up to kind of makes himself a little bit vulnerable, which Jamie never does and admits that he came North and abandoned his sister to, and you totally got, I totally was waiting for him to say for you. And he says to fight beside her and you, there's just a glimmer of disappointment on her face that she, I think was hoping he, hoping in spite of herself that he would admit that he came up because he loves Brienne and wants to fight beside her. So I'm, I'm kind of he, I'm excited to see there's still more to blossom in that relationship because they got a bone at well, some point. And I think unless it happens in the middle of the battle of Winterfell, they're going to survive. Yeah, he did ask her to top him. <laughs> well, our friend Kim Renfro, who writes for Insider, said my favorite thing, which is uh, she's been on this kick for a while, which she said, Jamie being familiar enough with Brienne and her body to get her measurements right is the single most romantic thing that's ever happened in Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> which is my favorite. So she continues to up- update this tweet thread with uh, with things. So she said, important update, Jamie knighting Brienne is now number one, but him fitting her for armor with just his eyes holds strong at number two. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But I, I love, yeah, I love how innocent their like love for each other is, but it's, it's very genuine. It feels like to me. They are so much more compelling to me than Miss Sandai and Grey Worm. Um, <laughs> and I feel like a jerk saying that, but I've just such a uh, snooze fest yeah. most of the time. I, I will be sad if Grey Worm doesn't make it, though, because I do. I like want good things for Miss Sandai and Grey Worm. I just don't necessarily need to watch them happen. I liked their relationship just because um, it pissed off so many people who only see sort of uh, sex through the male-female mm-hmm. anatomy binary oh. and... Uh, they do genuinely love each other. I, 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 I always, I tend to talk about uh, Varys and Grey Worm a lot from a matter of personal experience, just knowing endocrinology. I went through a couple of months of basically no, as part of transitioning, um, where I was on like a negligible amount of estradiol and I was on testosterone blockers. So I had basically like no sex hormones. And you don't just become like this, just, uh, just, sexless blob who just doesn't you know that he gray worm is probably a better lover than mm-hmm. most people in westeros he probably is yeah. um, it's a low bar yeah i asked i was a friend of mine and i were discussing about yeah a friend of mine and i were discussing online about like i'm like the um, like i was like i still would like to know the mechanics of what happened between gray worm and miss and when they were in bed just because also the show has never come down on the definitive mouth stuff like sort of textbook definition of a eunuch like is it like danny asks the question and it never gets answered so i'm incredibly curious about what the show defines as a eunuch so but then my yeah, friend was just that. like oral gray worm did all the work yep. yeah uh, he's still yeah. got a uh, plenty mm-hmm. of parts to use i am extremely compelled by the missandei and gray worm 
relationship, if for no other reason than Miss Hande is like the most beautiful woman on that show by far, in my view. Um, and I have a massive crush on Natalie Emanuel. But um, honestly, seeing her in real life was overwhelming. She is so beautiful. I kind of do too. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, but uh, Alexandra, like you, I'm not a big Brienne and Jamie shipper, but um, I just got to say that the way. Um, they were together in this episode was uh, absolutely incredible. And their interactions were um, sizzling in, in a way that you don't see that they did mm-hmm. really pop off the screen. Um, and, uh, and it was overwhelming to, to watch them together um, and have these moments. And, and maybe it's because I'm not a big Jamie and Brienne shipper. Like now I, I, I don't think that they have to have sex. I think that, you know, if they die next to each other in the battlefields next week, that will be, in my view, a satisfying end. I don't want that to happen. I, I want to protect Brienne mm-hmm. with all of my heart. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that that is, you know, that would be a romantic conclusion worthy of the epic story that has been told. Is is that he left Cersei, this woman, the only woman he had ever been with, um, to die next to Brienne. Um, and if they die together, I think that will be a, a, a really compelling end. Well, he had that conversation with Bronn once, wasn't it about how they wanted to die? And Jamie said with the woman he loved oh. and Bronn said, does she want that too? Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. oh Christ. <laughs> Cause Bronn asked, does she want the same thing? Um, and I think that, you know, his, his, visual response was kind of maybe shock at, at hearing that question or, you know, confusion. But I think that, I think that well, with the end, they do both know that they right, love so each other. And it's, it was only more confirmed in, in last night's episode. They always have that, that eye contact constantly that just, of course they love each other. Well, and it's just so, I think what makes it so brilliant too, and is, is the reason that they've had to keep those emotions down is that there's this kind of has been heretofore an impossible relationship for many, on many levels. Um, Brienne's not exact, Brienne is, um, Jamie could not get married. He was part of the Kingsguard um, and he's dating a sister and wrapped up into kind of an emotional whirlpool he's with old. that. Um, and Brienne didn't really have the confidence, I think, to break him out of that on the strength of her feeling. So to see them sort of gently, like finally gently approaching, lifting off the layers of the taboo layers of their feelings for each other is it's just been unfolding in such a beautiful way. And I'm happy for all the JB shippers. Like I've never shipped anything that's offered this much story that's been satisfied to this degree. So I'm like, just he's also never been with anyone else. I believe Jamie. uh, No. So it's, I mean, literally since birth, it's only been Cersei. So having to rectify having those feelings for someone else um, has to be really difficult. It's interesting you brought up the Bronn thing because it's it's so funny when that question would have been so affecting to Jamie because I think all you have to do is investigate Cersei for two seconds to realize that she wouldn't die with Jamie. She wouldn't do the kind of thing. She wouldn't make the kind of sacrifice that Jamie would make for her, which has kind of always been the unfortunate truth about their relationship is that it is to a pretty great degree one-sided and i i loved what Tyrion said to jamie earlier in the episode about how she didn't like jamie says something to the effect of like she had me fooled she had all of us fooled and Tyrion was like she didn't have you fooled you knew what she was the entire time and you loved her anyway right 
it was just so refreshing to kind of see all the characters interacting without I mean, they were all really being honest with each other. Tyrion and Jamie got to have that moment. It was he he could genuinely say, I wish father were here, even though he was the man that mm-hmm. killed him. And you still got the sense that those two things can exist simultaneously. You know, it, families are 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 really complex and they could sit there after all they've been through and still uh, enjoy each other. So I thought that was really oddly moving, given that I don't think many people miss Tywin. I mean, I kind of do, but just because I like sickly wanted to <laughs> climb onto Charles, I wanted to like climb up Charles' dance. I am a, such a silver fox. Stan, <laughs> like his introduction, elbow deep in a dead deer, I was on that train, wishing it was you. <laughs> For those of us with uh, daddy issues, like I, I could see <laughs> missing Charles' dance, be like, oh, right? Yeah, I could. I do kind of miss him. <laughs> oh yeah, he—he he is a beautiful man. Richard Richard Dormer has my heart right Honestly. now. I, I don't want Barrick to go. It's he, amazing. That voice. I mean, I would if he if he had like if we had like a bottle of wine and he had like a like old book of like Tennyson or somebody. <laughs> I would just be <laughs> off the wall. But, um, he does. I feel like that's what made that's what like brought Beric Dondarrion back to relevance because now like gone for like five seasons, then comes back to Robin Hood his way all over the place, just because he has that sort of minstrelly type fantasy narrator voice. He feels he feels like of another time. So Arya and Gendry got a moment that I think a lot of fans have really ho- uh, hoped would happen, especially since Joe Dempsey made the, his, his reappearance last season. So it was nice to see Arya, having been so obsessed with death, uh, have some uh, fun with the living for a change. Yeah, it was. Um, I like their dynamic. I didn't really. I'm, I was sort of neither here nor there about the sex between her and Gundry. People have some hot takes on it for sure. Uh, I thought it was fine, but I've just never like imagined Arya and a sex. She's never really been sexualized, so it just felt a little bit awkward for me. Even though they were both extremely attractive, like hats off. Um, but she also was just so little when she joined the show that I think I think people tend to feel that way when somebody that they first knew when they were super little absolutely. is suddenly suddenly dating. It's like ew because it makes you feel old and <laughs> by comparison. I think it's just the weird intimacy of it, of like seeing like she's, she's very, Arya's remain, Arya remains, except until recent episodes, very childlike to me. And that, so yeah, it was just kind of a, not, it didn't, it just sort of like the, it didn't really turn into anything insane for me, but I do think it makes total sense that they would get down. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad she had that moment. And t- did it like a, commanding lady as an assertive lady i was pretty shocked at the backlash of it um i didn't expect people to dislike it as much as they did when i felt very much like aria has lived this very difficult life and she deserves to be vulnerable for a moment and do something that made her happy and feel good in with someone who's like so supportive and loving and has respected her um she and aria yeah i know i'm sorry their journey and knows yeah, a lot of her there's journey. A, there's a mutual respect between Arya and Gendry that I really love, and it it was really lovely to me. But it was really interesting to see that people hated it as much as they did. I think just because we've seen Arya 
you know, be a child. But the reality is that she's grown now and she deserves to be happy and soft and gentle. Like her being, you know, a, a killer, like very well trained, um, doesn't negate her from having soft feelings. Yeah. I, I always call Arya my favorite child, you know, and so seeing her take her clothes off, I definitely felt initially that revulsion that sort of like, Oh no, no, no. Like, what do you, what is my girl doing with that, that dirty boy there? Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, like you step back and you think about it, first of all, like you know, obviously she's an adult. Um, and even if she weren't an adult, even if she weren't 18, I don't know. I think that the game of Thrones Twitter account has gone out of, it's way to say that Arya was 18 um, earlier, earlier this week, just to be like, hey, she's legal, which is weird, first of all, because that's not the law in Westeros. But second of all, like, you know, 17-year-olds have sex, 16-year-olds have sex. I, 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 you know, it is a thing that happens, and it's not... Her sister got married years younger. Like it's... Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's not, like, that weird. But what is interesting is that, you know, nobody bats an eyelash when... Uh, Arya commits mass murder, uh, when she, um, kills every single male fray, um, when she, um, murders people in, for the faceless men, nobody cares. Or, or, you know, people cheer her. Bakes them into a meat pie. Yeah, exactly. People cheer her. And, you know, like, obviously that's how it's played. That, that's one of the reasons why I love her so much. But, like, then for, for them to be like, wait a minute, she can't, um, you know, she can't have sex or she can't take her clothes off. It, it's incongruous it, to a, a huge degree. Um, and so I, like I had to take a step back from my own reactions and be like, no, no, okay, this is about her. Um, and this is about her, her own journey, um, and her own arc. And it makes sense. Um, and it was well played and like the two actors have chemistry. And so I enjoyed it, um, in retrospect. No one got this upset when Tom and got it in. Yeah. And that was Blake. I did, but I was jealous of Tommen. So. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Tommen had such a good little life for a couple of weeks there. I mean, no. oh, wife <laughs> teaching him the ways no. of sexuality is a literal king. Got a great cat. Has some mommy oh issues, God. but for the most part, Tommen had it going on for a while. Yeah. He got it in four yeah. times in one night. <laughs> <laughs> really? But yeah, I feel like people weren't... I feel like there were some comments about Marjorie being older, which I don't know what the age difference was there, but people weren't up in arms in the same way that they are about Arya, where, you know, Arya is older and me. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me. I, well, I think it definitely has to do with that. Well, Arya is also a woman. So. Yeah. I can. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Young boys can have sex. Young women can. I kept thinking about how uh, Joe Dempsey was on this British show Skins like 10 years ago and his character was mm -hmm. having sex scenes all the yeah. time. And then so I, yes. I haven't really I, I've seen a lot of people having negative reactions to the Arya Gendry but me for me it's just been like okay you know Gendry's been doing it for a while obviously Maisie Williams is an adult you know it's time to give her agency well Arya agency over her own decisions. I, it's just not a big deal. Of, of all the, you know, they glorify Podrick's se like, sex scene. Like, it's the greatest. Yeah. Hot rod, ladies and gentlemen. And <laughs> yeah, I think all that kind of stuff always falls down on, on you know, gender-based lines. It is always okay for guys to do things 
in sexual sexually earlier than it is for women. There's a huge double standard there, and the show has followed that pretty pretty faithfully. Our least reactions to a lot of the show's sexual scenes have been fall fall on those lines. Um, all right, should we do final thoughts? I'll start, I guess. Um, no, I I am just like I like I said before. This episode was so affecting and so emotional, and and um, one of the things that I noted or that struck me spending time on Twitter last night is that, you know, for the past several seasons after each episode, it's just about like, what are the memes? What are the fun memes, the funny memes um, about each scene or interaction? Um, And it was very different last night um, where it felt like, sure, there were memes, but the dominant sort of conversation was about Jesus Christ. That episode was good. You know, and like, that episode affected me emotionally in this way. And what about this time that I cried? What about that time that these two characters had this incredible interaction? And it wasn't just about like which SpongeBob memes we can, <laughs> we can make out of it, everything. And so that's, that's a testament to the writing and it's a testament to how they pulled it off. Um, I, I don't think it's very likely that we get another one of these episodes um, ever again. And so um, I just wanted to, cherish it uh as much as i possibly can i'm not excited for next week um because i'm terrified and i'm an anxious person by default but um i'm so happy that they gave us this and it it was one of those episodes where it 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 sort of justifies how obsessed i am with this fucking show where i can point to that and go that's why because it it when it's good when it's really really good it's that good yeah, I think that. Um, and so, yeah. No, even within our, you know, Game of Thrones community, each episode can be so divisive where some will love it and some will hate it. And then there are fights about it. But after this episode, it's everyone just seems to be so happy and feel so good about this beautiful gift that we were just given. And I'm so thankful for it, especially with what we know is coming next week. It's going to be um, really difficult, but this episode was, it was perfect and it was beautiful. And I, I wish that we had gotten to live in this time where things were okay a little longer, but I'm thankful that we have it. Yeah, this was just, I just wanted to like take a bath in this episode. It was just from start to finish, (laughs) just utterly, utterly like, here's a present for you, Alexandra. You can open it for an hour and it's going to be awesome. And uh, every time I checked my um, counter, uh, meanwhile, I've also been like doing a little bit of day drinking. So my emotions were heightened in a delicious way. Um, (laughs) Every time I checked my play counter to see where it, like see where we were in the episode, like three different times, I was like, oh my God, there's like a half an hour left. There's so much more of this episode. I'm so, it just felt like such an embarrassment of riches. Um, Very, I'm, a television critic by nature and professionally. So it it's in my nature to critically view things and to um, focus on both the good and the bad. And it's really, really nice when an episode is this good that it's all gravy. Speaking of gravy, you know, I'm really excited for next week to see what kind of soup Davos made. Cause I know in the North you can have a lot of uh, great chowders. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if we have clams yet. That's a root vegetable. Yeah. But, um, I, I just. It looked great. People were loving it. New Shireen hopefully is going to be around next episode <laughs> to have some more. I was a little on the nose, but that's okay. 
I hope was it, it onion soup? Do we know whether it was onion soup? I assume that it was. If it was French, if it was French onion, that that could have maybe been the only way to make the episode any better. Would be if we had an onion throwback to Sir Davos, but we know he probably it's like his if 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 he was the uh, Iron Chef, the secret ingredient would always be onion. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I got the right cooking show right. But, in uh, my heart right now, with in that. my fantasy, he's also yeah. faking a bad French accent. <laughs> yeah, he's such a good dad. Oh. Yeah. So we had Davos with the soup. Uh, that was for me, really. Just I, I always <laughs> love Davos. But on a more serious, broader note that isn't just about what how Seaworth is doing, I... You know, it was it was one of those episodes that you get to sort of sit back and take in where we are because in a few weeks the show will be over and this thing that we love will you know will always go on, but it's it's going to be different. And to have everybody together taking in that moment was special, and it, it's. There's a couple episodes you're, you know, we'll all probably remember where we were when they first aired, but that was one where you just look at it and, you know, it's like a high that continues uh, a couple of days later, which is ironic because it aired after 420. Which was, uh, <laughs> and it was episode 69. Oh my God. And it was, yeah, and it was, it was nice. Easter also, which if there's all, one thing that can top Jesus, it's Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> really into topping this episode. Game of Thrones Jesus has better Game writing. Thrones, yeah, so. Jesus is watching. He knows what happens, and he's very pleased. He came back to tell us yesterday. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was definitely very. He was the reason that HBO didn't preempt the episode for uh, the holiday, which and we're all very grateful that that happened. Because next week will be brutal, but um, we'll 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 certainly. You know, be, be the fandom will be here to analyze it once it all all three of the podcasts when when it finally uh, when the right. big battle finally comes. <laughs> so um, I want to thank all of our guests for coming on. It was um, really it was great. I was looking forward to this one a lot because, you know, everybody agrees it was such a great episode. And uh, do you want to go around and tell everybody where you can find us and whether or not you have actually been in Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> Sam, you should go first. <laughs> um, again, I'm Sam Adolfo. You can find me on Twitter at kinda underscore cool or kinda cool sometimes on Instagram. And I have been in Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, my name is Alexandra August. Uh, you can find me at ALX August on all platforms. And uh, I have. I've not been on Game of Thrones, but I did do a Game of Thrones tour through Dubrovnik a few years ago. So in a different time and place. Uh, and my name is Clint. Uh, you can find me at lawsoficeandfire.com or at Westeros Law on Twitter or Clint W on Twitter. And I have not been on Game of Thrones, but I did text everyone I knew that my friend Sam was on Game of Thrones last week. And we want to... Clint may not have been on Game of Thrones, but he will be headed to D.C. next week coaching a civics team. Uh, he will not be here to discuss the big episode, but we would like to wish him uh, and his team a great good luck. We know he'll be a great presence in that disgusting shithole that's Washington, D.C. Thank you. And Thank tomorrow you, is his birthday. 
Oh, and it's also his birthday uh, on. <laughs> it'll be today because the episode will have aired. So happy birthday, Clint. Happy Thank birthday, you. Clint. Totally what not. A glorious present. Not a day early at all. <laughs> this this happy birthday was delivered to you on the day of your actual birth. So your <laughs> happy name day. <laughs> Thank you, family. All right. Um, I want to thank everybody once again. This was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>